Colossians 1, 19 through 20. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. We've been in Colossians, and this little chunk, this little verse actually hits on the, the full message of Paul's burden for this little group of believers that while starting well has been led astray by religious and worldly thinking, he's been reminding them that the Jesus who they first encountered is the source of everything they need for the rest of their journey. He's been reminding them that the one they had come to know knows everything they will come to need. And they don't need to go from Jesus to other things. They don't need to go to angels. They don't need to go to religious ceremonies and fastings and special services. They don't need special dietary restrictions. They don't need add-ons to Jesus. They need the voice of Jesus. They don't need something outside of Jesus in addition to Jesus. They just need more Jesus. Thanks, buddy. There's a special word called pleroma translated fullness in this verse and in Colossians 2 that hits at the center of what Paul has to say to these Colossians. There's this Greek concept that the world on earth is tangible and broken and imperfect and not as it should be, but the world in heaven is immaterial and ideal and as it ought to be. And that for, There's this platonic idea that for every real thing on the planet, real and broken, There's a perfect ideal thing in the invisible realm. And there's this Greek idea that to be in a body is to be, in some sense, in a form of slavery. But to be away from the body is to be, in some sense, liberated in an ideal place. And I think we know in this church that the Hebrew Old Testament isn't primarily concerned about getting away from the body to heaven but rather is primarily concerned about experiencing the blessing of God in a body, both in time and in eternity. Are we tracking with that already? For example, the Old Testament hope is not to go to heaven when you die, but to be raised from the dead with a new body. The Old Testament hope is not to float away and be in a paradise in a cloud, but rather the heavenly city being on the earth. And so in the book of Revelation, we see the church coming down from heaven, adorned like a bride to reign. We see a new heavens and a new earth. We see the bodily is really spiritual in the Bible, unlike in the Greek culture that Paul's preaching into here. In the Greek culture, we met Jesus And we think that Jesus is the one who maybe can get us up to that really distant place where God dwells. We're down on earth where it's yucky and mucky. God the Father, is the Father of Jesus at least, is somehow far away. And in between him and us are these layers and levels. Layers and levels. There's angels and demons. There's powers and forces. How will we get through the various powers and forces? How will we navigate the complexity of the spiritual realm? I don't know if you've noticed this, but like in our culture, we have a, we have, you probably have noticed this, a naturalist, materialist worldview. In some cultures, they have what's called an animist worldview. In our culture, if you get sick, we assume you got sick because you had a cancer, you had a virus, or you had an infection, or something went wrong. Where? In your body. 
But in an animist culture, if, if somebody gets sick, you assume that an evil spirit is out to get them or someone sinned or someone put a hex on you or someone was mad at you and they did a little magic thing and they, they're against you. How are we tracking? Are you with me so far? And in this Colossian situation, you find them saying, yes, Jesus is great. He was a great model. He was a great, he was a great light for what it looks like to live the spiritual life. But we're going to have to find ways to navigate both the dangers on earth to not get hexes and all these powers on us, but also then we're going to have to find a way to navigate through the layers and levels in between us and the fullness because the fullness this technical word in this verse right here is the place where pure spirit dwells and Paul's listening to all this complexity and he's seeing they're adding things to Jesus and when life gets hard when life gets hard this is crazy right when life gets hard in an animist culture and your western Christian pastors that saved you they they led you to Jesus they didn't tell you how to deal with demons. They didn't tell you how to deal with sickness. They didn't tell you how to deal with the spiritual realm, but it's part of your worldview. All they told you is Jesus forgives your sins. So then where do you turn from Jesus when you encounter all the stuff that the Western Christian pastors didn't tell you? You turn away from Jesus. You turn to the stuff that used to work. You turn to the stuff in your culture. And that's what these Colossian Christians were doing. They're turning from Jesus to things to navigate the spiritual realm on earth because they don't understand what Jesus, who Jesus really is. And they're thinking, oh my word, I need special keys, I need codes, I need fastings, I need religious services, I, need, I don't have an anointing, I gotta run to that guy's thing and have hands laid on me. I can't just go to him, I can't. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with getting hands laid on you, am I right? Laying on of hands is biblical. but I don't have what I need in Jesus. I got to get it through these special services and fastings and, and honoring certain holidays. And you got to, you guys, guys, it's all. And Paul goes, actually, no, all those holidays were pointing toward Jesus. Don't you understand? Those were shadows. He's the light. That was partial pointing toward the full. He's the fullness. So Paul comes out and he uses their word. And he says, don't you know that in him, in Jesus, all, all, that's a big word, all the fullness this God that you think is way far away, up in heaven that you can't access, so it's not practical, so down here on earth, you're on kind of your own. No, in Jesus, all the fullness of God dwells. And don't you know that it's actually through Jesus that all these things that are broken in the world have already been reconciled through the blood of his cross. We often think that when Jesus died on the cross, he died, quote, for our sins, and that's all. Now, he did die for our sins, didn't he? Why else did he die? Both for our sins and for our... Yeah, from... From death itself. See, sin and death through Adam came into the world and affected what? Here's the phrase I'm looking for because this is me doing the teacher thing where the teacher just, you're like, can you finish your sentence? We can't read your mind. And this is where at a prophetic conference people would say, well then, I guess I'm just checking the level of your discernment. And then we'd all roll our eyes. Which reminds me of the story like... Um, at Bethel's school, prophetic school, every year, this first assignment that they do 
is to make sure that everyone fails. They give them an assignment so hard that they'll fail, and then they celebrate and honor them for trying faithfully to hear, to hear God because they want them to know what it feels like to fail in a culture of grace. Because if you can't try and, and say, mm, I didn't get that one, then you can't start to learn the difference in feeling and intuition and sensing and process between making a free throw and missing a free throw. In other words, if you, are, if you feel like you're a failure, as soon as you miss one free throw, you have to quit the, the team. You'll quit the team right away. So they want you to know what it feels like to fail right away. So every time they have you prophesy the social security number of the person next to you or something like that. And, then every, and so the goal is to get you to fail so you'll know what it feels like. to fail in a culture of grace. The goal is to, for you to know what it feels like to be an imperfect person in a culture that believes in you anyway. The, the goal, and here's the, here's the point of what I'm saying. Every year there's some jerk who gets it and like prophesies their neighbor's social security number accurately. Like every year. There's, there's like two. It's like two people out of, out of 300 or whatever, you know, of the little prophetic track that they get it. They're like that tuned in. And they like ruin it for everyone. And they're like, oh, dang it. They got, they, they're actually frustrated when they, get, when they get it. That's not funny to you? That's funny to me. But the goal is not to spend the rest of your life going to prophets for prophetic words. Prophets are to train you how to be connected to the Father. The goal is not to, for the rest of your life to go to conferences, to have them lay hands on you, to receive more, to encourage you. That's awesome. Do it. It's, it's great. We always want to be receiving from many people, but the goal of those infillings is to learn how to be connected to the same Father they're connected to in relationship daily. The goal of every one of these, these other things is to connect us more to Jesus because the fullness is in Jesus. The fullness is in Jesus. The fullness is in Jesus. So, okay, I didn't even start my sermon yet. Okay. But who, what did he die for? He died to reconcile everything that was affected by sin and death back to the Father. That includes, say it with me, people, everything. Okay, let me try it again. That includes everything. So literally every inch of the universe, not the earth, the universe, not just our little planet, as far as as our telescopes are in our ever-expanding universe can see the blood of Jesus spilled 2,000 years ago on a cross have redeemed. Because the blood of Jesus is not some, some little thimble full of mercy. Man, do you know what? I, this was crazy to me. When I was a baby Christian and I was studying election, People are predestined to believe in Jesus. I don't know if you bounced, bumped into those verses. St. Augustine, John Calvin, they literally believe, and I love those guys, by the way, so this is not me slandering them. I'm just disagreeing with something they said. They literally believe that Jesus' death was only for the elect. That he didn't die for the sins of the world, he died for the sins of the elect. And this passage is one of the passages that I'm looking at going, guys, the, sin, the blood of Jesus was not a mathematically precise amount 
of punishment being doled out on Jesus. No, no, no. It was literally the power of sin and death completely in the universe being defeated. So it wasn't even a punishment or a payment. It was the defeat of a power. So the blood of Jesus is sufficient to cover the sins or eradicate the sins of a billion worlds. A billion worlds. He's infinitely worthy and his sacrifice is infinitely powerful. So not just humans, but everything. Star systems, galaxies, you know, dolphins. I I always like to say that. I always like to say mountains and dolphins. The blood of Jesus reconciled mountains and forests and birds to the Lord. All right. First concept. In Jesus is the fullness. I think you could say, oh, well, it's a, it's a good thing we don't do whatever what the Colossians, you know, we, it's a good thing we never do what the Colossians did. We never turn away from Jesus as our answer to secular stuff because we don't know it has power, that he has all the wisdom and all the power and all the fullness we need. It's a good thing we never do that, right? I, I've been thinking this week about the concept of emotional health that has replaced the, the, the older notion of the soul. The modern notion, psychologically informed, has this vague and vacuous sense of emotional health And on the pragmatic level, it it comes forth in the question we constantly ask each other, how are you doing? By which we mean, how are you feeling? And so this modern amalgam of psychology mixed together in a vague sense of well-being, however you define that, versus this deep ancient well of biblical thinking on the soul, which has this going on. Your soul might be in agony, but you might be in the path of of wholeness. But if somebody says, how are you? You'd say, terrible, and then think you're doing something wrong. But over here, how are you? Is The better question is, how, is it, how goes it with your soul? And a valid answer is, I'm in lament, or I'm in waiting, I'm in mourning, I'm in rejoicing, I'm, I'm in confession. I'm, there's a number of things that it might be going very well with your soul, but if the question was, how are you? The answer would make the modern psychological thing say, oh, you, you, you're, not, you're not, that's bad. You must be doing something wrong. Just the other day, someone sent me a prophetic word, so-called, about things that had already been happening for a while. That's interesting, right? Agabus prophesied a thing that was to come, and when it came to pass, that's how you're like, whoa, that guy hears the Lord. But this prophetic word was about things currently happening. All you got to do is read the newspaper and then say, this says, thus says the Lord. We got riots, and we got viruses, and pandemics, and stuff. 
And worse, the prophecy was from a devil. The person was like, I was praying and a devil showed up in my room and he said this, this, and this. And I just rolled my eyes. I'm like, really? This is who we're going to get our prophetic words from now, demons, on purpose? And we're going to even say it out loud in public? Please don't send me stuff like this, guys. What's up, right? The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, Revelation 22, right? Or what is it, Revelation something? 1910. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, is prophecy. It, does that not constitute a slight turning away from Jesus for going to demons? To, am, I, am, I not, am I speaking a different language this morning? But if in Jesus is the fullness, why, why would you, why would you like, uh, and then why are Christians forwarding that? It's weird. That's strange. First off, you don't need to hear the Lord to see that there's riots and a pandemic and real crisis on our hands. So how's that a prophecy? And then secondly, it's from, I feel like I'm just haranguing. Okay. I want to hear from Jesus. You know, Jesus should be the center of our spiritual encounters. Jesus should be the center of our prayers. Jesus should be the center of our processing of life. Jesus should be at the center of of like, okay, how are, we, how are we as a culture, how are we as a community? Jesus should be at the center of our processing. That's the, that seems fairly obvious. Should I go on, move on to the next point? I mean, I've had angel encounters right there. While Jacob was singing right here, I was right there. I had an angel encounter. So I'm not saying we can't encounter angels. But what's the purpose of the encounter? Even if there are angels, even if dead saints show up in your room and talk to you like they did to Jesus, Jesus should be the centerpiece. Remember the Mount of Transfiguration? Moses and Elijah show up on the top of the mountain and Peter starts freaking out because he doesn't know what to say because he's nervous. And then the voice from heaven says, listen to him. Yeah, to Jesus, which means Jesus should be the focus of our mountaintop experiences with God. I've also had dead people talk to me, which is a lot of fun. I'm gonna, should I delete that from the recording? I don't know. And because there's an election cycle about to spool up and get our country all riled up in apocalyptic fervor, it seems like the focus on Jesus is even more important. In some cultures, like I said, the, the animistic focus, how do we get power to navigate our world? In their culture, it's, oh, you need the witch doctor's blessing. You need the right herbs and spices. You need the right keys and codes. But in ours, it's you need the right politicians and policies. That's our animism. That's our witch doctoring. And I'm going, no, Jesus is your answer. And over here, I'm going, no, Jesus is your answer. And you go, well, that's simplistic. No, I'm not being simplistic. Jesus actually has wisdom for, the, for the, how to engage in a way that you don't get bitter and you don't demonize the opposing side of an issue. You can oppose me on an issue and you're not my enemy. We can have a dialogue and a debate, but you don't have to become my enemy. 
But if I get sucked into that thing that happens when the political spirit comes on people, next thing you know, my functional savior is not Jesus, but my political party and its representatives. And my functional hell is those other guys being in power. How many times have we said dumb crap like, the country can't survive four more years of fill in the blank with whoever the candidate is that the other, you know what I'm talking about? I've heard it on both sides and I'm going, guys, we have survived four more years. We've survived hundreds of years of absolute stupidity because we have a good God on the throne. He just done meddling. Romans, Romans were required to say Caesar is Lord. They were required to say Caesar is Lord. So Jesus is Lord is a political statement. We're clear about that, right? Your baptism is your break with earthly politics. Because Caesar is no longer Lord for you. You know that, right? And they would have these, these messengers stand up and announce the good news of all that Caesar has done for you. You know what those announcers are called? Evangelists. Do you know what the announcement they were called? Evangelion, gospel. The gospel, Christianity is explicitly political. And like, I'm going, look, the fullness is in Jesus. The answer to every question is in Jesus. Dean Sherman, we talked about this at DTS. Dean Sherman says the problem of every single problem in society can be traced back to a relationship problem. Every single problem in society can be traced back to a relationship problem and Jesus is the answer to every relationship problem. And you go, that's simplistic. No, obedience to Jesus, his words, his ways, his modeling, his vision. And when we don't, when we don't follow his words and his ways and his model and his example, what happens is we have these crazy unintended downstream consequences that cost everyone lots. Like, so Jesus is Lord and Jesus' word, Jesus as Lord and Jesus' words and, and seeking understanding of how he actually has the wisdom. It's in his word, in his teachings. It's funny, it's like we relegate him to our soul in the afterlife instead of the biblical vision of the soul, which is that thinking, feeling part of me being well-ordered in this life in, in obedience to him here and now. And because he is eternal, and because the life he's put in me is eternal life, I live forever. But the goal is not get away from here to there. The goal is to live from who he is to here. And he actually has the practical, tangible answers. Now, again, not to modern psychological self-help well-being, but to manifesting obedience to him and his kingdom cause in the world, even if they hang you on a cross. It's so counter to our modern idea. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a whole book called When the Cost of Discipleship. Let me say that sentence again because I put too Have you ever noticed when I write, I put too many commas and I like rearrange the sentence in an awkward order? I'll put like, that's boring. You're not boring. You're beautiful. I'm weird. Okay. Okay. 
I didn't forget what I'm saying. I'm just literally enjoying my own ADD. Like, it's fun. I'm, in, I'm enjoying myself. I'm like, I'm ADD, and it's like, I'm glad I am because I find people who aren't a little bit hard to follow because they don't stop the story and, and tell a, a funnier story when they realize that you're bored. Thank you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. In other words, to be an authentic follower of Jesus is expensive. And, and you go, well, hold on now. Grace is free. You and I both know this from experience. Grace is free. But it'll cost you everything. It, it, that's, it's not a contradiction, but it is a paradox. I love this song by John Bellion where he says... Um, what if who I, what is it, what is it, what is it, what if who I hope to be? What if who I hope to be was always me? And the love I sought to feel was always free. Did you feel that? What if all the things I've done are just attempts at earning love? Cause the hole inside my heart is stupid deep, stupid deep. What if the love I'm longing to feel is perfectly free? But what if to allow myself to fully receive it means I have to make an expensive break with every other thing I'm trying to get love from? Can you feel that? So Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship where he says, when Christ calls a man to follow him, he bids him come. Well, let me, I'll put it this way. When Christ calls a man to follow him, he bids him come and die. Jesus, how you doing? You having a good day? How's it going? Jesus isn't doing that great today. Well, that would be folly, but that's Peter. Lord, this will never happen to you. And what what does Jesus say? It's not friendly. (laughs) Carl, you're softening the blow. He said, get thee behind me. And I'm like, well, the White Stripes made an album called Get Behind Me, Satan, about that verse. The way of Jesus is not the way of the world. It's the way of the cross. Luther talked about a theology of glory versus a theology of the cross. And he talked... Luther's so hilarious and mean and poetic and descriptive. Like one of my favorite, I love Erasmus of Roderick. I, I have a quote from Erasmus on the door beside my desk that says, bidden or not, God is here. So I love Erasmus. But Erasmus and Luther would get into debates and Luther was like, your brilliant intellect and massive vocabulary and eloquent speech in service of your vile lies, 
is like the finest silver platters and plates and trays filled with steaming excrement. And I'm like, Luther, be nice. You play, play nice. But I love, I love Luther. He had this vivid, uh, vivid understanding that what God's called us to is painful and ugly. And what we want is to be called from victory to victory. But, but he, he'll give us the victory as we surrender to death, the Father will raise us. Not as we hold on, but as we let go. So the wisdom of Jesus is what we most need. The voice of Jesus is what we most need. Okay, so Jesus died for everyone, everywhere, and he says he reconciled all, he reconciled all things, God the Father, through Jesus to himself, right? See, I did it again with my paragraph sentence structure. So somebody could say, Pastor Tim, since God reconciled all things to himself through Jesus, does that mean everybody's going to heaven, everybody's going to be saved, regardless of what they do? Is, Is universalism the truth? I have friends that I feel I could be misreading them, but I have some friends that I feel believe in universalism. And you're going, why would even anyone, th- I can see it on Linda's face, why would anyone think that that's what that means? People have a choice. I mean, they can reject Jesus. I can, you know what, I can see the, the wheel. Am I wrong? No, I don't. Always know how you think. I'm just saying. I, I thought I saw a look. Does, does this mean everyone? And I think the correct response to that is, I wish. There's a church father named Origen. Have you ever heard of Origen? Not the word Origen, but the man with an E at the end. He was one of the first men who got all these old manuscripts and copies of the Bible in its original languages, and he, got, he gathered them together, and he compared what they included and what they excluded, and he looked at the differences, and he was one of the first people to do the science of text criticism to try to get back to the original Bible as much as possible. He had such a passionate heart for God. He was constantly fasting and praying and seeking Jesus. I'm pretty sure he was the guy who... Mm, his situation because of what Jesus said, if your eye offends you, pull it out, and if your hand offends you, cut it off, and he felt like he had a problem with lust, so he fixed it. So we're not dealing with a casual believer. We're, de- <laughs> we're not, de- not dealing with someone who's relaxed in his posture towards the Lord. He's the kind who would sleep on the concrete to be hard on his body because the body needs to be in submission to the spirit. Pain is okay. We're learning to resist pain and obey Jesus anyway and be cheerful even though my body is uncomfortable is important. And if you can do it with a cold floor, you can do it with, with rejection of friends. That was his mindset. I'm not saying I do that. I like my mattress. <laughs> and we had Popeye's chicken last night. But I'm just trying to paint a picture for who Origen is before I say this thing about him. Origen had such encounters with the love of God. Origen had such encounters with with the father of Jesus. 
The love of Jesus was so rich to him. The beauty of God felt so compelling to him. In the face of sin, what he came to know of God was so irresistibly attractive to him that he finally concluded that in eternity, every soul and even the devil himself would ultimately bow the knee to Jesus because of the unrelenting beauty of the Lord. So he was a universalist. He didn't believe there would be a hell eventually. There is for now, but eventually everyone will will give up their fight and lay down their weapons and say, you're just good. Now, is he right? Is it biblical? And I call him the orthodox heretic because I don't agree with his conclusion, but I agree with his heart A lot more than I agree with a lot of people who disagree with his conclusion. I don't know if you caught that. His reason for being wrong is pleasing to the Lord and glorifying to Jesus. And I'm pretty sure he's got a place close to the throne right now. Though his doctrine was wrong. He's my people. I just disagree with him on the topic. (laughs) But no, I don't think that this means that everyone will ultimately be redeemed because of other clear passages of Jesus. However, the grace is available because of the cross. The grace is available. Okay, so what does it mean, all things? It means all things eventually will be in full harmony with God, even though they're not now. It means all things. It means sin and evil will be fully eradicated from, from the universe in such a way that everything that then exists is in perfect harmony with God. Is it, what time is it? Time, I don't know what time it is. All right, I should probably shut this down. I cannot imagine... And by the way, when I say I should shut this down, I don't mean in the next 10 seconds. I mean I should move toward conclusions. Sorry to get your hopes up there. Um, you know what I should do? I should bring brownies one day and do my dad's little brownie, brownie thing. Dad passed out brownies one day in a sermon. And once he passed out all the brownies and everyone was well underway eating the brownies, he had to wait. He made sure they were eating the brownies first. And then he just said... He's standing. He's just waiting. He's watching. Making. Did you, did you need any of the back? Make sure you get some. They're passing all the... People are happily munching. They're like, oh, food in church. This is excellent. And then he says, what if I told you I put a cat turd in there? <laughs> and people were like... Did he do it, though? Did he put a cat turd in there? He's a, kid. He's a joke. He's joking, right? He's not serious. And he goes, no, it's just one. What if it was just, just one cat turd? It's a big batch. You get a lot of people. We made a lot of brown. It's just one, small one. Why? Why are you? Put, no, keep chewing. There's more. You can have seconds. And then he said, how much cat turd tolerance should there be? And, and everyone was like, how about Zero. How about none? And he's like, so think about your life and your heart and how the call to be holy 
How much sin do you just sort of allow, tolerate yourself to knowingly participate in? Well, I was upset. Well, I was late. I was in a hurry. Well, they stressed me out. I don't know what the issue is. I'm just saying I thought it was a really great way to have an excuse to get brownies in church. Okay. I really can't hardly imagine a world with none, no sin. I can't hardly imagine a, a world with zero tolerance, no cat turds in anyone's brownie. I can't imagine it. Can you, I, I can't imagine, I can hardly imagine a world with no sin and death. It's really hard for my brain to, I try to imagine it. And I just think, mm, too good to be true. Sounds like a fairy tale. Because this is all I've ever known. But it is the biblical vision. Well, I'm convinced it is the biblical gospel that all sin and death will be removed from the universe and Jesus will rule as Lord and King forever. But it's really hard for me to imagine it, Eric. Let's single you out. Go ahead and... uh, stand for a time of of prayer and blessing. It doesn't mean the service will be dismissing. I'm just saying. Holy Spirit, I'm just going to pray for a little bit and then I'm going to turn it over, I think, to Doug. Holy Spirit, I thank you so much for this time together. I thank you so much for this service that's still going on, but we bless we bless what you've said to us. We bless what you've, what you've stirred in our hearts. God, as we've been singing the songs, you've been speaking to every heart. You've been stirring things up. You've been listening to prayers and there's been conversations with you. So we just give you a moment, God, to bring things back to our remembrance. Church, what is your takeaway from what the Lord's been doing in you so far? Jesus, we commit to seeing you clearly and we ask and invite help. Holy Spirit, we ask for help to see the connection points between our cultural blind spots and the fullness of Jesus. Our blind spots and the fullness that's available. Show us what we're missing that would help us get in our path of love, of cross-bearing, of truth-telling, of truth-living more than even telling. And I would be negligent if I didn't pray, heal our land, God, heal our cult, our, 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 we love our country, God. We love America. And we ask that you would bring greater unity, greater healing, greater sensitivity. We want a massive revival We want your church to thrive and flourish and spread. We believe that you are the hope of the world. And you've said then to us that we're the light of the world. And that feels daunting. So we ask that you would shine so bright. We We ask for mercy. We ask for grace that we would shine bright.